Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind control matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad to have you with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives to close out the week. And Jim, the good martini, connects a lot with what you've been covering for the past two weeks. And that comes to us from uh, Ukraine, uh, the Wall Street Journal, with this particular uh, explanation of the story. Uh, Ukrainian troops piercing of Russian lines this week marks a small move with big potential. The Ukrainians are trying to gradually force their way through the main Russian defense line in the southeast under heavy fire to expand fissures they open and achieve a larger-scale breach. This is a critical moment in Kyiv's three-month counteroffensive because a full-scale penetration would allow Ukraine to pour armored vehicles through and wreak havoc among Russian forces. Advancing a few miles through the defenses around Verbov, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, a settlement in the country's southeast unknown even to most Ukrainians, would amount to a modest gain compared to the roughly 20% of the country that the Russians control or compared with the greater gains that Ukrainian and Western uh, nations had hoped earlier this year to have achieved by now. So, Jim, uh, you're just back from Ukraine. You know the geography. You know the critical nature of, of this particular part of the battle. And we've certainly seen a lot of political debate about the success or lack thereof of the Ukrainian spring offensive. So, how critical is this and, and what happens if it is successful? Well, I think it is a, I don't want to oversell this. Uh, this is a small step, but an important step. Uh, there had been a pretty complete and indisputably daunting Russian line of defense uh, all across kind of this southern front. And, you know, one of the ways you want to fight against that sort of thing. And it had layers of landmines and trenches. It really looks, in some of these pictures, it looks very World War One. Uh, and the images we associate with that war. Um, and it was, you know, layers of defenses, and it's tough. I did hear some folks while I was out there saying that the Russians had pushed a lot of their defenses up towards the front lines, and that if you could break through past them, there would not be a lot behind them to defend that. Again, not to overstate it, there's still an enormous amount of fighting, but this does appear to be an important piercing of that line. Um, I would also point out that when I was over there, the Ukrainian people, uh, and I was again, I was in places like uh, Lvov and uh, Koval, uh, Kiev, and then down to Odessa. Um, they know about as much as how things are going to the front as anybody else in the West, which is to say, I mean, they, you know, they hear things. Almost everybody knows somebody who's fighting somewhere along the front or stationed somewhere along the front, but they don't know. This stuff is, you know, changing day by day. It looked like it was being a long, slow grind. This is an important step. It's not, it's by no means mean the war is over or the war is won or something like that, but it does demonstrate that the Russian defenses can be penetrated. And if you can widen that enough, you can get a lot more forces in through there and uh, really, you know, uh, start punching through and start acquiring territory. I also would note that... Um, one of the things that has made this counteroffensive very challenging, 
a war of attrition does not work to the favor of the Ukrainians. They have, they're a smaller country. They have fewer people in their armed forces. They've mobilized uh, maybe not every last man that they can, but like a great deal of, of those who are available. And when you're the smaller side, you know, every casualty means more. You can't afford to lose that many guys. We've heard about the Russians just, you know, throwing conscripts towards the front and, you know, losing them in mass numbers, but be feeling like they're going to be okay because they have more numbers. Anyway, an important step. We will see if this builds momentum or has some sort of follow-on effect, but, um, for a counteroffensive that has been a long, hard, difficult slog, it is good to see at least one significant breakthrough at this point in the war. What's the general sense of the Russian morale? It's obviously hard for Ukrainians to know that they're on the opposite side, but given how easy uh, they were sold that this would be, and it obviously hasn't been, what do we know, especially given the casualty figures? We talked a bit about the Pogosin, you know, mini coup that he tried about a month ago or, or maybe six weeks ago, and, uh, and then Pogosin's death. Look, Russian morale is terrible, um, but they're used to it being terrible. Uh, Russians, you know, you look at their history, have been willing to suffer in the name of the state a great deal because they, you know, partially out of pride, partially because out of someone telling them, I'll shoot you if you don't. Um, the, the morale of the Russian army being terrible may not be as uh, damaging to its ability to fight as some people in the West may think. That having been said, you would rather have your morale be high and to have your folks be fired up and, and determined that they can definitely win uh, than to be in the state that the Russians are, where it's like the only reason we're fighting is because we'll get killed if we don't. No, the Russians have had horrific casualty figures because uh, they don't value the lives of their own people. You go back to World War II, as, I mean, the, the numbers you know, a little bit fudgy, but it's somewhere between 20 and 30 million uh, between uh, military and civilians. So that's not a concern for their leadership ever. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4patriots.com slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared when your power goes out. It's going to happen eventually. It's just a question of whether you're in the dark for a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe even a few days or more. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X, worth its weight in gold. It's now got double the capacity, and it'll keep your big appliances running, including your fridge, which is full of food that just keeps getting more and more expensive. It's got 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini now. And as we get to the start of a new month, we get more reports about what happened in the previous month. Today, we're going to be talking about the immigration report, with the government reporting that record numbers of migrant families streamed across the U.S.-Mexico border in August, according to preliminary data obtained by the Post. We'll get the official numbers in a little bit later in September. An influx that has upended Biden administration efforts to discourage parents from entering illegally with children and could once again place immigration in the spotlight during a presidential race. The U.S. Border Patrol arrested at least 91,000 migrants who crossed as part of a family group in August, exceeding the prior one-month record of 84,486 set in May 2019. 
Families were the single largest demographic group crossing the border in August, surpassing single adults for the first time since Biden took office, which is a a major shift. Uh, Overall, the data shows border apprehensions have risen more than 30 percent for two consecutive months. And so the administration... You know, they made some cosmetic changes there, Jim. Some would say they were more substantive than that. But the numbers are creeping back up again. And now we're seeing uh, we're going to have families more than before in this dire situation because of the policies of this country completely inviting people to make the journey. Yeah. Shockingly, Greg, um, when Kamala Harris went down to Central America and said, do not come. Shockingly, they didn't listen. (laughs) They did not have the I really thought that was going to do it, but uh, now it turns out. Uh, let's also note, you know, the overall arrests, 177,000 in among the Mexico border in August. That's up from 132,000 in July, 99,000 in June. Um, you may also remember, like, we've had coverage of an enormous heat wave over much of the American West in the past month. And, I, you know, pretty much the, the entire summer, it's, summers are always hot, and this is always a particularly hot part of the country. But, you know, even in that, scorching heat, people were making the journey and they were making that journey with their children, um, which kind of indicates that all of the efforts to, you know, uh, reduce the people from leaving in the first place, uh, you know, some of them come from Mexico, but a lot of them are coming from Central America, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. It's not working. It is not reducing people's willingness to take enormous risks to get to the United States and apparently bring their children, uh, which is is doubly troubling because obviously, you know, this kind of journey is, uh, you know, it has a certain amount of risk to life and limb attempting to cross the Rio Grande and and places like that. But also like, you know, this is no place for a child. And yet residents of these countries continue to keep doing this. The Biden administration loves to run around and saying the border is secure. It is not the case. And they have done very little to mitigate the rate of people coming over here. Uh, I guess the Biden administration's plan is to simply wait until Central America runs out of people. Yeah, apparently so. And we just had the story uh, that Peter Ducey finally brought up at the briefing about uh, an ISIS figure moving people from Uzbekistan uh, across the border, trying to figure out who these people are, uh, where they're going, and whether they pose a direct threat to this country. Corinne Jean-Pierre at the briefing podium says that this has all been interdicted and nobody's got anything to worry about. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I also thought her biggest whopper of the week, Jim, was going to be that uh, nobody can keep up with Joe Biden. His uh, energy is just off the charts. Uh, We're scrambling every day to try and match his energy. And then yesterday she comes out with, the president has done more to secure the border and to deal with this issue of immigration than anybody else. He really has, unquote. No, no, he really hasn't. That's an intense competition between those two statements uh, because she said something earlier about, ah, Biden's got so much energy, I can't even keep up with him. Right. Um, now, she is in her 40s. Uh, as far as we can tell, she seems to be in fine health. If you are in your mid to late 40s and you can't keep up with 80-year-old Joe Biden with his shuffling feet, you should see a doctor and you probably <laughs> should be checked out because you should be keeping up with Joe Biden quite fine. Most of us can keep up with Joe Biden, you know, with no problem. Uh, this is not a plausible uh, line of, of, of explanation here. But the argument that the border is a Biden administration success story, that things have turned out great, uh, the border is secure, none of that is plausible. The American people know it is plausible. You know, instead of trying to spin people into believing things are great, what if you actually, like, did stuff to try to actually improve the situation? Like, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here, you know, that rather than an absolutely crazy spin heading into a goal, an election year, what if you actually tried to do stuff, work with the other side, try to put up more fencing? 
Um, try to you know repair fencing that has well been worn down. You know, help the border patrol have fewer places they need to to uh, patrol and protect and, and you know watch for uh, migrants attempting to cross. And maybe you get somewhere, but uh, hey, what do I know? No, exactly. I mean, the, the message is the gates are open, regardless of what Kamala said in Central America a while back. Hardly anybody's getting sent back. Uh, they're moving people where they, wherever they want to go here in the United States, although sometimes the governors are sending them to sanctuary cities uh, in, in the cases of New York and some other places. But uh, there's, there's no disincentive for people uh, to make the trip right now, and that's a big problem. All right, let's move on to our double-fisted crazy martini now, Jim, and uh, back to the Wall Street Journal for this one. Unfortunately, uh, climate policy for most Democrats originates in California, where they're always so rational and even-handed and moderate and balanced. Uh, And then the national Democrats decide, hey, these are great. Who really cares if they're realistic? Well, now... uh, There's an assault on trucks, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal. Truckers are raising alarms about a new mandate proposed by the California Air Resources Board to electrify their fleets. Starting next year, dryage operators that transport goods between states, ports, and distribution centers would be prohibited from registering new diesel trucks. By 2035, almost all package delivery, drayage, and box trucks would have to be zero emission. But electrifying trucks will be even more costly and difficult. A mere 272 electric trucks were registered in California as of last year. And under these new mandates, if they're finalized, some 510,000 trucks would have to be zero emission by 2035. But it's just completely impractical. First of all, electric heavy-duty trucks are about three times more expensive than new diesel big rigs. So that's a huge problem. Installing uh, chargers can cost millions of dollars. And uh, they gobble up a tremendous amount of energy. The story here says one trucking company wanted to install charging stations for 30 trucks at a terminal in Joliet, Illinois, only to be told by local officials that they would draw more power than the entire city. And it turns out that if we did all this with trucks, they'd only be able to charge at night, which is when everybody's electric vehicle would also be uh, plugged in. And so (laughs) as you go through this story, I could I could read it all. But it's the, 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 the range on these huge trucks is a big problem. They would need two batteries that each weigh. 8,000 pounds. And so then you could only haul light stuff like potato chips. You couldn't even haul soda. The left is so far out in front of its skis here uh, that it would be laughable if it wasn't so serious about making these things law. You know, California is really going to give federalism a bad name (laughs) because usually, you know, the attitude of, of you and I and a whole bunch of folks on the right is, uh, the government that is, you know, closest to the people generally governs best or is most responsive to its concerns. And we love the idea of the states being 50 laboratories of democracy and each state, you know what, go out and you try it. Colorado, you want to try legalizing marijuana? You go ahead and be the guinea pig and see how that works out. And if other states like the results, they can emulate it. If they don't like it, they can resist that. California, there are a couple of states that are that kind of become so big and influential into the economies of the rest of the country that they kind of get very disproportionate influence on national decision-making. And uh, an enormous amount of what you buy, even if you live on the East Coast, comes through some of those massive ports on the West Coast, uh, Long Beach in particular, but uh, really up, up and down the coast. You think about like when, when California said, and of course, a lot of it gets you know, loaded off the ships and then it goes to your stores, oftentimes on trains and sometimes on trucks. So when California says, we're going to make these kinds of requirements for a truck, even though you might be thinking, eh, let California do it. Well, a lot of the stuff you buy 
it comes through trucking companies that have to comply with that. And if it says, oh, you can't use diesel anymore, and oh, we expect you to be zero emissions and all that kind of stuff, well, the cost of everything you buy is going to end up becoming considerably expensive. Now, is it conceivable that companies will say, ah, oh, this is an absolute pain. Can we ship it through Washington? Or are there other ports that we can use? I guess, you know, the possibility. But it's still going to make things more expensive. It's not you know, like there's a reason California has uh, become a massive trade and shipping center for so many other places in the rest of the country. Those of us who don't live in California and think that its leadership is completely off its rocker and as completely disassociated, like it's living with the consequences of, you know, these kinds of heavy economic regulations. It's also living with the consequences of crime regulations. It's living with the consequences of, uh, you know, housing restrictions that make the cost of housing skyrocket. All, a million ways, like Gavin Newsom's California is this progressive laboratory for every bad idea. And people are living with the consequences. And then when they can afford to, they're getting out. Uh, but that having been said, there's no sign that California is going to change course. Unfortunately, it appears that everybody who thinks differently has chosen to move out of the state. Uh, they're voting with their feet effectively. And the problem is that means there's no one there to stop bad policies like this one that could make the costs of, you know, God knows how many goods much more expensive in other states because California wants to push through changes like this. Yeah, it's insane. And says, uh, you know, batteries can power trucks for 150 to 330 miles between charging, which can take five to eight hours. Jim, you and I both like to spend time in Hilton Head. It's about 500, between 500 and 600 miles away. It usually takes us about nine hours. Uh, you make a stop or two along the way. So if you had to stop for five to eight hours, probably twice as a trucker, that journey wouldn't be too fun and it would take longer and a lot of people would be paying a lot more money. Yeah, I, you know, look, if you you and I have talked about electric cars on this uh, podcast a lot of times and we're, we're not, you know, we don't, I try not to poo-poo it completely, but we're skeptical. It just isn't, if, you, if you're living in a city and you just tool around and uh, you have easy access to a charger and you have the time, you know, if, you, if you'd ever go on a long road trip and you're okay charging it overnight, okay, that, that could work for you. Um, now we've also noted that many people who drive these electric cars buy them. They feel they think they're going to be great, and it takes longer to charge, and the battery drains down faster than they expect. Sometimes it just isn't quite as good as advertised. Now this isn't saying you know nobody should ever buy an electric car, but it just doesn't work. Uh, maybe it doesn't work if you need you know you're a big family, you need that SUV, you need that station wagon, you need a you know minivan. You got a lot of people, you got to bring a lot of groceries, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, little tiny cars are just not going to work for everybody. And the idea of using electric batteries that take hours to recharge is just not a realistic option for America's truckers. No, no, not the truckers, not people who visit family uh, that are that are fairly far away. It's uh, not plausible at all right now. But uh, we have more free beacon with this story related. Uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is appointing a group of leading experts, Jim, to advise him on transportation equity, including several who argue that cars cause climate change and promote racism and therefore should be phased out. Buttigieg earlier this month appointed 24 new members to his advisory committee on transportation equity, an Obama-era body that Buttigieg is reviving after the Trump administration scrapped it. Included on the committee is Andrea Marpiero Colomina, a spatial policy scholar who says in all caps, quote, all cars are bad, given that they cause a myriad of environmental issues and conditions. Another Buttigieg appointee, self-described transportation nerd Veronica Davis, argued in an August essay that cars perpetuate systemic racism and are therefore the problem in America's transportation system. So, you know, for people who think that uh, they're going after your cars as a conspiracy theory, they're not doing a lot to dissuade you. Great. 
Greg, among other things I'd like to know about this is when the Advisory Committee on Transportation Equity meets, will they be meeting in person? <laughs> and if so, how did they get to the meeting? Did they walk there? My guess is no. My guess is these people are scattered all across the country. Okay, they're they're going to have to get there somehow. And I don't think they're biking there. I don't think they're biking from, you know, California to the to the to Washington or something like that. But they mean as your, your cars are bad. Ours are just fine. Yes. We're special. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They're just always so disappointed in us. Jim, have a great weekend. And uh, just a reminder to our listeners that on Monday, we will have a special edition of the Three Martini Lunch focusing on Jim's more than a week in Ukraine, what he learned there, the good, the bad, and yes, even some crazy. Uh, so make sure you uh, stay tuned for that. But Jim, before then, have a great weekend. See you, see you Monday. Actually, see you Tuesday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already, and please tell some friends about us as well. We'd love to have them listening too. Thank you for your five-star rating and your kind reviews, please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on X. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Labor Day weekend. Do join us on Monday and we'll be back with our regular fare on Tuesday on the Three Martini Lunch. Cartels are exploiting Indian reservations to get into America and our federal government can't be bothered to stop it. Hey, y'all, it's Sarah Carter from The Sarah Carter Show. I just got back from two trips to our southern border and I want to take you inside a huge hotspot where thousands of migrants are coming into America every day. I was with a member of the National Border Patrol Council when the Border Patrol nabbed multiple illegal migrants who are breaking U.S. law, and I have the exclusive audio. For all this and more, subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app.